<clears throat> Wasn't Donna amazing what she shared this morning? That was just so wonderful. <clears throat> she held me with rapt attention right up to the cream puffs and saran wrap. <laughs> after, I, after that, all I heard was... Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> That's a class I think we should put, bring back. The elders will be discussing that on Thursday. We will take your thoughts into consideration. I just saw her in the back. I said, by the way, you never finished the story. Who went to the hospital? She looks at me and goes, Heather. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. In a trial, a southern small town prosecutor called his first witness, an elderly grandmother, to the stand. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you, have no, you don't have the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She again replied, well, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone. His law practice is the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he cheated on his wife with three women, including your wife. <laughs> yes, I know him. Defense attorney nearly fell off his chair. The judge at this point calls the two counselors to approach the bench, and in a hushed voice said, if either of you asks her if she knows me, I'm going to send you both to the electric chair. <laughs> Not bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that one from Frank. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, my wife sent it to me. <laughs> Oh, now I love humor, but it's time to get a little more serious this morning. John Claypool, in his book, The Light Within You, tells of his young daughter who was diagnosed with leukemia and was in a tremendous amount of pain. One night in the hospital, she asked him, Daddy, when will my pain go away? And John said, Honey, we're doing everything we can to get rid of it. And his daughter then asked, Daddy, have you asked God when my leukemia will go away? Have you asked him, Daddy? What did God say? Claypool writes that he didn't know what to say to her. He writes, what do you say to a little girl when God seems as if he's not listening? What do you say when the heavens seem silent? Some of the hardest things to handle are times in our lives when God seems like he's a million miles away and he's not answering our prayers. God promised in his word to always be there, but it seems as if he's giving us the silent treatment. Where, where are you, God, when I hurt? Job Wright wrote in the Old Testament. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. Well, while this is Mother's Day, and we rightly should honor our mothers, I do recognize this day may not be full of joy and celebration for us all. Maybe you're experiencing loss and pain, and this day may bring sadness. 
Perhaps it's the loss of a child or you've been unsuccessful in your attempt to conceive. Maybe it's a broken relationship with your own mother, perhaps a rebellious child. You've asked God for help, but your child just dives deeper and deeper into rebellion. Maybe you've been abused and the pain is deep and it just won't go away. And you wonder if God even cares. Is he there? But he just seems silent. Well, in the time that we have this morning, we're going to take a look at one of the greatest women in the Bible. Wife of Abraham, mother of Isaac, grandmother of Jacob, and great-grandmother to Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel. A woman of remarkable beauty. She was so stunning, in fact, that she drew the attention and affections of pharaohs and peasants alike. Hebrew folklore ranks her right up there, right next to Eve, who was regarded as the most attractive and perfect woman who ever lived. Of course, none of them have ever met Tracy, so it's not quite fair. Hey, guys, that's how you do it. (laughs) But more important than her unsurpassed place in history or unparalleled beauty was her personal faith in God. She is one of only two women mentioned in Hebrews 11 as examples of faith. Her journey of faith was long, unpredictable, and a roller coaster of highs and lows. She struggled as she waited upon God, who seemed silent. Of course, I'm talking about Sarah, the mother of Israel, the mother of faith. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for what has already been accomplished this morning. I thank you for the time of worship, and Lord, it just uh, it did my heart good to see Heather worshiping as her mother came up, Lord. That just touched my heart. I thank you for what Donna shared this morning, Father. Truly was impactful. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here and moving amongst us. Now, Lord, this time that we have to look at your word. May our hearts be open. And Father, I just ask, there is no use in me speaking my words, for they are completely useless. But Father, you... You come alive in the word. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. What is spoken now, Father? Let it be life-giving. Let it be truly remarkable because it comes from you. Now may your word just come alive in this time. Give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when uh, Donna agreed to share this morning, and I heard that she would have a picture of her mother up, and uh, I saw that picture, that was just awesome, I figured uh, I can't be outdone. There you go, there's Donna's mother. Well, I couldn't be outdone, so I brought my mother here this morning. So, And I am pleased that my mother and father are here on Mother's Day, and I just want to. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. All right, you guys are going to beat me up because I just set the bar a little too high. (laughs) Now, we don't have enough time this morning to go through the whole story of Abraham and Sarah, but what is important to understand is that names in Jewish culture are very important. 
Abraham was named Abram at birth, which means noble father. God changed his name in Genesis 17 to Abraham, meaning father of many. In Genesis 18, God changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai meaning princess and Sarah meaning mother of nations. Since we'll be covering that part of scripture but not delving into the specifics, I'll use Sarah and Abraham, except when the scripture refers to their given names. I just didn't want to create any confusion and I hope I just didn't. Sarah was a woman in the Bible who became frustrated with God's silence when she could not get pregnant. She wanted desperately to have a child, but it just wasn't happening. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to me with me to Genesis 15, and let's look at Sarah's story and draw some lessons about how we can react when it appears that God is silent. Skip, can you put that up? <clears throat> Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Did you catch that? Lord said to Abram, No, your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son. It was just after this point that God made his covenant with Abraham, the everlasting covenant that remains to this day. The story of Abram and Sarai, as they were known at this time, really begins in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram to leave the land of his family and go to the land that God would show them. What we see in Sarah is a faithful and loving wife picking up her whole household and going on a journey a true journey of faith, she had absolutely no idea where they were going or when they would get there. All she knew was that God had made a promise and God is a promise keeper. Sarai was 10 years younger than Abram, who was 60 years old when they left Haran. While they did not know where God was calling them, they did know where he was calling them from. See, after the flood, Noah, his sons, and their wives repopulated the Middle East. But within a few short generations, they had forgotten the one true God. Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, all had enough children to form their own nation. Yet they disregarded God's command to spread out over all the earth, and instead, they built a giant ziggurat. We know it as the Tower of Babel, as a symbol of unity and independence. God, of course, destroyed the tower and scattered the people, confusing their language and forcing them to spread out all over the world. The Lord had called Abraham and Sarah out of that land to be pilgrims in search of something better, in search of God himself. And so they packed up all their belongings, left their relatives in their father's house, and headed out into the great unknown. It took a lot of faith to do what they did, 
even more so, I think, for Sarah than for Abraham. Think about it for a second. The Bible tells us that God appeared and he spoke to Abraham, not to Sarah. She'd never heard of this God. What do you do if your husband or wife came home one day after 50 some odd years of marriage and you asked them how their day was and they said, well, honey, God appeared to me today and said we need to pack up all our stuff and hit the road. How would you respond? Would you willingly pack up and go? Or would you call for them to be admitted to the padded room? But Sarah loved her husband and she was willing to trust him on this. She really didn't know God, but she was willing to step out in faith. So our faith is like that, stepping into the unknown, into the unseen. Not one of us have ever seen God. We've never seen Jesus face to face. and We've never met an apostle. We've never held an original manuscript of the Bible in our hands. And yet God has called each one of us to a better life, to an eternal life. We never quite know when we first answer that call, where we'll end up. But it's the journey that matters. Getting to know the God who spoke the universe into existence, experiencing his grace and love in unimaginable ways, and knowing someday, some very glad day, when this life is over, we will no longer be pilgrims. We will make our home in a new and better place, a heavenly place. Over and over, God confirms his promise to Abram to be the father of many nations. From Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis 15 that we just went through. So over and over again, God has set an expectation within Abraham and Sarah that there would be heirs, and yet they didn't have children. As Sarah is approaching 75 years old, Her patience begins to wear thin. So this sets us up for Genesis 16. Skip, you put it up. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. See disaster written all over that. At 75 years of age, there was little optimism in Sarah's mind that she was going to have a child. God had come to Abraham and promised him that they would have a son, and yet Sarah was yet to conceive. She was growing older and it was looking like an impossibility. God had been silent for years. And you can imagine how impatient Sarah and Abram must have been. God, we want a child so bad. Where are you? When is your promise going to come true? One of the toughest things to do in life is to wait on God. Someone once said that God is never in a hurry, but yet he is never late. Dealing with God's timing takes a certain knowledge of who God is. God's view of time is quite different than our own. The Bible says that for God, a thousand years is like a day. When Chloe was younger, Chloe's our youngest, 
We were driving in the car one day and she asked, when are we going to be there? That's the age-old question from the back seat. And so we said, a little while. And she stopped for a moment, she thought, then she said, how many whiles is that? (laughs) Her understanding of time was certainly different than ours. The truth is that for most of us, we want to know how many whiles it will be. To God, we sometimes appear to be that child that's constantly nagging from the back seat. God, when is this going to happen? When? When, God, when? Well, because of Sarah's impatience with God's silence, she convinces her son Abraham to go along with a crazy plan. So let's put that scripture back up again. Genesis 16, 2, skip. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. Sarah could not wait on God, so she took matters into her own hands. She was so impatient that she comes up with a terrible solution. You know how desperation often makes us do stupid things. Sarah gives her husband permission to sleep with her maidservant. Abraham agrees, and Hagar, the servant, becomes pregnant. Customs in those days allowed a woman to do exactly what Sarah had done. A barren wife could offer her servant as a substitute, and as a result, any child born would become a legal heir. The truth is, Sarah did what most of us would do. She took action when God appeared silent. Because, hey, we know it. The Bible says God helps those who help themselves, right? Eh, wrong. Thanks for playing. It doesn't. The Bible does not say that. In fact, what the Bible said is wait patiently for the Lord. Sarah was tired of God's silence. He's kept me from having children. I'm going to do something about it. She could no longer stand the stigma of being barren, and so she devised a plan to make that disgrace disappear. Sarah decided to forego God's ways, and she made a way of her own. But soon, very soon, she found the folly of her way, and little does she know that her efforts will only fuel bitter relationships and heartache. Sarah begins to rep- resent her, bride, her maidservant excuse me, and her husband. And in verse 5 of Genesis 6, we read this. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. Abraham is referred to in the Bible as a man of great faith. But on this occasion, I think he was a few hamburgers short of a happy meal. Church, let me give you some advice. If your spouse comes to you in a moment of lapsed judgment and says it's okay to do something that will fundamentally undermine your marriage, don't do it. Ladies, I think you understand why Sarah was upset with Abraham, right? I think that when she had gone to Abraham, instead of Abraham agreeing, I think that she wanted to hear from Abraham No, honey, if you and I can't have children, then we won't have children. Or how about even better? God promised us. And let's wait on God. Like like Adam's failure with Eve, 
Abraham failed to take charge and he let Sarah carry out this miserable and foolish plan. Abraham ends up telling Sarah to do whatever she wants with Hagar. And verse six tells us that Sarah mistreated Hagar so she fled from her. Isn't that how often it happens though? We blow it and others feel our frustrations. Hagar refused to put up with Sarah's mistreatment and she flees into the desert. She would eventually return and give birth to a son named Ishmael. Let's see what God has to say about Ishmael. This son of yours, that's Ishmael, will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Hmm. Now, who was Ishmael? He was the father of the Islamic faith. And the descendants of Abraham and Sarah are still fighting with him today. Sarah's plan ended in disaster. And the world is still reaping the consequences of this decision to this very day. When God was silent, Sarah took action and it fell apart. But fortunately, this is not where the story of Sarah ends. If it was, then Genesis 1 through 16 would be the first chapters of the Quran, not the Bible, and we'd have absolutely no reason to be sitting here this morning. It took God's intervention to ensure that his plan was fulfilled. Read this in Genesis 17. Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant with you will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. So God had confirmed his covenant promise to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah would conceive a son. They would name him Isaac, and the covenant would be confirmed in and through Isaac. And yet, Abraham laughed. He laughed at God. In the very next chapter of Genesis, Sarah overhears the Lord again tell Abraham that Sarah would give birth to his son. And this time, Sarah laughed. Well, Abraham is nearly 100 years old. Sarah's 90. I'm 47. Am I 47? 48. What am I? 47. All right. I'm not going to make it to 100. 47. The thought of having another baby in the house is a bit overwhelming. I think we can all understand the absurdity of thinking that as a 90-year-old, you'd be pregnant. 
But that's exactly what happened because God had a plan. Here's God's plan in Genesis 18. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I've singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. God's plan was to establish a family, a line of succession to keep the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. Skip, if you can put up next verse. It's how he kept his promise. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. So Sarah's faith was restored. She proclaimed the promise of God and her faith had been, has been recorded in eternity. Sarah, though, had to see in order for her faith to be restored. She had to touch the very promise of God, see it for herself to believe it. Her thinking, I think, was too small, or put another way, her God was not big enough. Her need to see and touch the promises remind me of the Apostle Thomas. Poor Thomas. We know him as what? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. Thomas had walked with the Lord Jesus for years. He had heard Jesus preach, and he was the inner circle as Jesus shared what was about to come, including the resurrection. And yet in John chapter 20, we read this. One of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Sarah had to see it for herself. Thomas had to see it for himself. Yet Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that's what the challenge really is for today. What do you think prevented Thomas and Sarah from having the faith to believe without seeing? I think it was their understanding of accepting God's timing. I think they both heard God speak. They understood his will about what was to come. But I think that they failed to understand his timing. God's plan was fulfilled in Sarah conceiving Isaac. 
It was always his plan. He told Abraham and and Sarah it was his plan, and God's will was made perfectly plain for them to understand. What wasn't made plain for them to understand was his timing. We can all agree that God's will is perfect. We may not understand it, and we may have a lot of questions when we get into his presence, but we do know his will is perfect. It's his timing that Sarah had a problem with. But if his will is perfect, then his timing must also be perfect. Truth be told, I think that all of us, first of all me, struggle with God's timing, certainly more than his will. So what do we do when God seems silent? First, when God seems silent, expect it to be difficult. Those years that Sarah had to wait on a child probably seemed like an eternity to her. It was hard for her to wait on God. She knew he had said she would give birth, but it was driving her nuts to wait. And folks, it's difficult to wait on God. Do you know why God is sometimes silent when we go through difficulties? It's perhaps because he's testing our faith. God often uses trials and difficulties to mature us. Harold Wilkie was born with no arms, and one time when he was a preschooler, he was struggling to get his shirt over his head and shoulders. He recalls, I was grunting and sweating, and my mother just stood there and watched. A relative turned to his mother and said, Ida, why don't you help the boy? His mother responded through gritted teeth, I am helping him. Sometimes God stands by in silence and does nothing because it actually helps us mature. James 1 says, Count it as such joy when you experience trials because those trials come so you may develop patience with God. If you're in the midst of a trial, allow yourself to ask for help and the Lord will freely help those who ask. Lesson two is when God seems silent, don't get ahead of him. When we go against God's timing and get ahead of him as Sarah did, we can almost bet the results will be a disaster. We're still dealing with the consequences of an impatient Sarah. Patience is a virtue, they say. Patience is also a fruit of the spirit, which means it's not natural and it goes against our flesh. We're not patient people. Did you know that 20 years ago, it took 20 seconds for a web page to load? How does that strike you? What does the thought of having to wait 20 seconds for Facebook to load do? Does it give you a conniption? By the way, if you don't know what conniption is, ask my parents after the service. Impatience is truly the root of so much pain and suffering. Stop, listen, wait. Getting ahead of God is a disaster. Someone once said that spiritual ends are never achieved through carnal means. Sometimes the best way to determine God's will in our lives is to do nothing but simply wait and allow things to play out. It's often hard to do, but it's the wisest thing we can do. Consider these verses in the book of Psalms. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 38, I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. 
In Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Do you know that we, what we should do while we wait on God? Pray. A key discipline in the Christian life for making sure we don't get ahead of God is prayer. Prayer is a way of communicating with God and acknowledging that we are trying to follow him. Prayer is the key to not getting ahead of him. And that's why in Proverbs 3 it says, In all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. That says to pray and God will direct you. Too many of us direct our own paths and then ask God to walk it out with us. Here, God, I'm going this way. It's not how it works. Stop, pray, listen, wait. Thirdly, when God is silent, don't try to understand him. Sarah's main mistake is that she assumed that she understood God. She even said, the Lord had prevented me from having children. She mistook God's silence as meaning that she wasn't having a child. She was wrong in that understanding. We should never try to understand or interpret what God is doing because we will never fully understand his ways. Someone once said that God's heavenly plan sometimes makes no earthly sense. In Isaiah 55, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. In other words, don't try to understand my ways. They are beyond your comprehension. God never promises us that we will fully understand what he is doing. He just asks us to trust The Apostle Paul was imprisoned and tortured, hated and rejected, but somehow he was able to write in Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul just trusted that God was working things out for good. Church, you never know how God is orchestrating his plans and his will in your life. He's behind the scenes making it all work out for good, We just have to trust and know what he is doing, even when he is silent. I'd like to call up the worship team now as I share these final thoughts. These words were found in a wall in Cologne, Germany, where Jews had been hiding from the Nazis. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. You know what happened to Sarah? God worked it out. She eventually gave birth to a son, a wonderful son named Isaac, whom she and her husband Abraham would love. Isaac would certainly be a main character in the Bible and a man of God. You see, God did have a plan. He was watching over Sarah all the time. He's watching over us. His promises are true. The truth is that God has a plan for each one of us and he loves us. The question is, do we really love him? Do we trust him? And do we believe even when he seems like he's silent? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for what you have brought about this very morning. 
Father, I thank you for Abraham and Sarah, for their incredible example of faith. Trusting in you, Lord. And Father, I also thank that, thank you, that they are also great examples of of brokenness. Of real people who made mistakes and got ahead of you. But Father, I just thank you that your grace is sufficient. That your power is made perfect in our weakness. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of promises. Father, I just ask that what was shared this morning, shared this morning through our time of worship, shared this morning from Donna's heart was shared this morning from the word of God. Father, let it just be implanted inside of us. May it change us and may we just trust you just a little bit more. Father, I know that there are those here, including myself, Father, who have gotten ahead of you. Lord, still our hearts. Settle our spirits and let us just wait upon you. Silence, Lord, does not mean that you are not there. Let our faith grow in your silence. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would have your way now. Just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.